0: that has been churning inside of me for months and months and months and I had been struggling really struggling to find the words to kind of put this into uh, into practice for us as a church and then one of my mentors helped me out it was kind of a a, 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 it was one of those moments where I said this is it these are the words we're going to do our best to share with you what I have been learning as I have studied from one of my mentors. Now, people describe, if you were to ask someone who's not involved in church to describe a Christian, um, McKinley's going to put it on the screen for us here. These are the words they might use, and they often do use words like judgmental, arrogant, hateful, rude. That's how people outside of the church describe us. That's pretty horrible. That's a horrible description, but if you were to ask those very same people to describe Jesus, they would use words like this, loving and kind, filled with grace and peace and mercy. Now, why is there such a difference, such a gap between the way they would describe Jesus and the way that they would describe us? Why is there such a difference? Last week... We went so far as to say this, that the words Jesus used himself to describe this group of people called the Pharisees are very similar words to what we see people outside of the church using to describe Christians today. But yet Jesus used some of those very same words to describe the Pharisees. So why is it that when people look at us, they equate us more with the judgmental, rude, mean, angry Pharisees than they do with the loving, kind, filled with grace and peace and mercy, Jesus? That's a good question. And I think we really need to answer that question for ourselves. And we did. We began that process last week. We're going to continue that today. You know, for most of us in the church, when we hear something that somebody has done, you know, it comes through the grapevine, right? Or it comes through the Facebook vine. It's stapled up there somewhere to the top. We see it. When we hear something that someone has done, we have a tendency to kind of be shocked by that. What? What did they? What in the world? Why? What? When we see with our eyes something that someone has done, we get shocked. If someone has done something to us, we are shocked. Now, this is another contrast between Jesus and us, the people called Christians. Because as I look at the life of Jesus in the New Testament, largely, by and large, Jesus really was never shocked by the things that people do. You just really don't find that. We're going to look at one of these moments. One of these moments for Jesus. It's in Luke chapter 7. And we're going to start with verse 36. We're going to work our way through several verses very slowly. But here's the first verse. One of the Pharisees, again... These were the judgmental, largely judgmental, rude, mean, kind of somewhat angry people. And when they looked at the world around them, they did not see God's creation of people. All they could see was the mess that they had made of their lives. And we could just summarize that by saying the people were very spiritually muddy. And the Pharisees, that's all they saw was the mud They didn't see the people. So one of these Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. Now when it uses the word sit down to eat, um, let me explain to you. uh, You may already know this, but just in case, let me explain to you what it was like to have a, a formal meal as a guest... At the home of someone of some resources, which most Pharisees were, and they had some finances, what it was like to be at a meal with them. It's not like ours today. So we have a picture to help describe this. The host would invite you to a table, and very often there was a cutout in the middle, which made the table a U shape. So that way people could get down the middle to serve. But They would sit around the table. And notice they're really not sitting. They would lie on pillows or a mat. Sometimes they would even have almost a a ledge, a deck-like thing that was up off the ground. And then the table raised even above that. But they would lie around the side. Notice they're all lying on their left elbow. That's just kind of the way they did. And they would eat with their right hand. And that's happening all the way around the table. And their feet, depending on how many people are there, their feet are stretched out. If there's many, like this, away from the table. Or if there's not so many, they're they would lay alongside of the table, but they would be resting on their left side. This is a formal meal, and this was what Jesus here is invited to, a meal very much like this. Now, when you are invited to a meal like this, if the room is big enough, then there would be many people in the neighborhood because this, is, uh, this was not just a meal, when you are invited as a guest in this scenario this is this is a dinner and a show basically and the show is really a discussion between these people and they want to hear what the guest has to say and so people would come from the neighborhood they would just simply walk into the house it was a, a kind of an open door policy and they would all stand around I can't do it on the screen but around all the way around on the outside and they would stand and they were there really in silence just to listen to the discussions and the topics that would happen here at this table to listen to what was being talked about what was being learned what was being taught it was a big deal that's what is going on in this scenario. So they would walk in, other people, and they would fill in the open spaces around the perimeter of the table and in that room, and they would just stand and listen. So Jesus has been invited to one of these meals. Let's go on to verse 37. When a certain immoral woman from that city, now this to us sounds pretty benign, doesn't sound like a big deal, other than the fact that they're saying she was immoral, Let's read between the lines. What he is really saying, what Luke is really saying here is that he's implying that a prostitute, someone of that standing, that caliber, has just walked into this room that they're having this meal in. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating, he being Jesus, was eating there... She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And I'm just going to make a side note here. This means that she was not just a prostitute. She was a very successful prostitute. In order for her to own such a product uh, of great value, this was an extremely valuable item she had. In order for her to have this, she was probably very successful. Verse 38. Then... She knelt behind him, Jesus, at his feet. So remember, on his left elbow, his feet are moving away from the table where the people are standing. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Something's going on here. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume, this perfume she brought in this alabaster jar, putting perfume on them. Now, as we read this, this does sound strange to us. But as we read it, we're not terribly shocked. It's just a little weird, right? It's just a little weird. It's not really shocking. It's just odd. It's it's odd behavior. It's a little strange. You would think, wow, that, that must be a little uncomfortable, a little awkward in this setting. But let me tell you how awkward this is. This would be the equivalent today of a woman walking into your dinner party at your house walking in topless. And I am not exaggerating this. This is the equivalent of our standards today. That's what it would be like. I'm not exaggerating. So you understand to us as we read this story, it just seems a little odd. It seems a little weird. But in this scenario, at this time, 2,000 years ago, in their culture and the way that they handled themselves and carried themselves, that is as if it, it would have here, someone walking on top. Of it. It's a big deal. It's huge. This is enormously shocking. This is not just awkward this is shocking. She kneels down with her hair uncovered. This was unheard of. This was, this was extremely shocking. And she begins taking her hair and wiping the feet of Jesus. Wiping her tears off of his feet. And everyone around them, they were shocked. They were horrified. And Jesus, He does nothing. I mean, Jesus doesn't even act shocked. He doesn't act at all disturbed. This is so interesting. Verse 39 when the pharisee who had invited him saw this he said to himself now note he's he's thinking this he's not saying it out loud if this man were a prophet in other words if he were really someone special if he were a prophet he would know already know what kind of woman is touching him she is a sinner Verse 40, then Jesus answered his thoughts. He just thought this. He didn't say it out loud. Jesus Jesus is God. He knows. The Holy Spirit kind of interprets this in the heart of Jesus. He knows exactly what he has said. Then Jesus answered his thoughts, and he calls him by name here, Simon, he said to the Pharisee. I have something to say to you. Now, the Pharisee has no idea that Jesus knows what this guy just thought. And Simon says, Go ahead, teacher. Simon replied. Now, he calls him teacher here. Go ahead. Verse 41. Then Jesus told him a story. Jesus was a master at telling these stories, these parables, stories that had a point. That he uses, he creates the story to to make this point. And, And here it is. Then Jesus told him this story A man loaned money to two people 500 pieces of silver. Now, that's about two years of a wage. So, whatever you earn completely before taxes in two years, that's the amount of money. That he's talking about, that he loaned this man. 500 uh, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. Now, 50 would roughly be about 50 days of pay. So, whatever you would make in 50 days, not counting, you don't count the weekends, 50 actual work days, whatever you make in one day, multiply that by 50, that's how much the second guy. So, the first guy, two years worth of working wages. The second guy, about 50 days worth of working wages. But neither, verse 42, neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. And then Jesus asked a question. Now, one thing about the Jewish culture They didn't teach by lecturing. That's what we do today. That's more of a Greco-Roman style of learning. That's what we do today. We lecture. We teach. In the Jewish culture, they ask questions. The teacher, the rabbi, would ask questions of his students, and then they would answer figure out the answer. And here we go. He said, who do you suppose loved him more? Jesus asked. This guy, verse 43, Simon answered, Well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Verse 44, Then he turned to the woman. So now Jesus turns his face away from Simon. So he's looking across the table at Simon. And now he looks down the length of his body towards the woman who is at his feet still at this moment. He turned to the woman, but he's looking at her, but he's talking to Simon. And Jesus says, look at this woman kneeling here. And I just want to pause here and ask us a question. Who do you think Simon sees here? Jesus is saying, Simon, who do you see here? I want you to look at this woman. How have you been looking at her? What have been your thoughts about her in your mind while you have looked at her? How have you, Simon, been judging her? What have you seen in your heart... As you have judged her and looked at her. Simon, what have you seen here? As you look at this woman, what do you see? And Jesus goes on. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. Now, we have to pause here. This was the practice. This was the practice, especially... For your honored guest. That you have invited into your home. They have been walking. They were wearing sandals. They were outside. It was dusty, dirty, nasty. And before you throw your feet up near the table. With other guests. You would clean all of their feet. At the very least you would offer them water. To clean their own. But you would most certainly yourself or your, or your house party would clean the feet of the honored guest. And Jesus said, you didn't even offer me water. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she, Jesus says, now Jesus is looking at her and talking to this guy but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Now, this is what they are freaking out about because this is as if she had come in topless. This is shocking. And Jesus says, "Mm -mm, look what she did. Look what she did. Verse 45. You didn't, Simon, you didn't greet me with a kiss. And that was customary too. Sounds weird to us, but that's the way they did it. But from the first time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. Verse 46. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. Again, another tradition that happened all the time when you brought a guest into your home. And he says, but she has anointed my feet, my feet with rare perfume. Verse 47. Remember, he's looking at this woman and talking to Simon. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little, and we could do this little in quotation marks, little. You think? Little. The person who has been forgiven little shows only a little love. Jesus is saying it's all about the love. If you truly realize how much, how much that He has forgiven you, your heart will flood with love for Jesus and your heart will flood with love for the people around you even the very muddy lives now pharisees and many christians they would say but jesus what about her sin I mean, we can't ignore that. What about her sin? Jesus, what about all of the bad? All of the wrong? Everything they have done to hurt me or hurt others, what they have done to disgrace themselves. Jesus, what about the sin? We can't ignore the sin. Jesus, you're forgetting something here. What about her sin? Jesus, don't we need to go to her and get the sin all cleaned up? I mean, she's pretty muddy, Jesus. Don't we need to get her a little more presentable? Don't we need to address the sin and get that straight, get that cleaned up? Shouldn't we deal with her sin first before we move into all this other stuff? Shouldn't we deal with that? Verse 48. Then Jesus said to the woman, now he's looking at the woman and he says to her, your sins are forgiven. Notice, Jesus didn't ignore her sins and Jesus didn't ignore the sins of this Pharisee either. Jesus points out that both of these people, the woman washing his feet, is a sinner. And he also points out in the same story that this Pharisee, Simon, is also a sinner. They both have a debt. Simon the Pharisee, the woman washing his feet, they both have a debt. And each one could not pay their debt on their own, although Simon thought He could, Jesus is making it clear you can't. They both have a debt. Neither one could pay it. And Jesus is saying it doesn't matter how big your debt is or how small you might think your debt is, you can't pay it. And the result in Jesus' day was the same. If you can't pay your debt, no matter how big or how small, then you could go to a thing very similar to debtor's prison. Or, no matter how big or small, you might have to go become a servant in that person's home to work off your debt. You can't pay your debt. Jesus is saying, there's a penalty. And the penalty is the same. No matter if it's a giant debt, or no matter if it's just a small debt that you think is, oh, it's a little debt. The penalty was the same. Large or small. Jesus is saying there is no difference between us. There's no difference between Simon the Pharisee and this woman who was a prostitute. There's no difference. We just simply have to realize the cost of our forgiveness. And some people don't realize that. Simon didn't realize the cost was the very same. The cost of forgiveness was the same for Simon as it was for this woman. But Simon didn't see it that way. He thought his were just little sins. Jesus is saying, no, the cost is the same. It's going to cost me, Jesus would say, the very same to cover your sin, Simon, as it does to cover the sins of this woman. The cost Is the same. The cost of a great big ginormous. Prostitution sin. It's the same cost. As your little judgmental attitude. Think you've got it all together. Self-righteous Simon sin. It's still going to cost me my life. And get this. Jesus was not shocked at her badness you know what he saw Jesus saw his masterpiece not the mud that was smeared all over it making his masterpiece dirty he still saw his masterpiece there's this word called shame You've heard phrases like, you should be ashamed of yourself. Shame. Do you know what shame does for us? Shame makes us claim the mud on our lives, the mud of our sin, our choices, our decisions, and the mud that other people have heaped upon us from their decisions, their choices, regardless. But shame makes us claim that mud as our identity. That's who I am. She is a prostitute. That's her identity. That's what shame does. I am the totality of my problems, and I am the totality of my mess, and it is great. And shame would tell you the same thing about your life. That is who you are. That's shame. Shame will keep us from knowing about the masterpiece that lies beneath the mud. As long as we focus ourselves on our lives on the mud, you will never realize the masterpiece that God has created in you that lies beneath. Shame tells you that you are equal to your decisions. You see, Jesus knows us. Jesus knows all of us. All of me. He knows all of me. He knows the masterpiece that lies beneath and He knows the junk in the trunk. He knows. He knows. Loves, and yet he still loves me. Jesus knows, and he reaches out to forgive. That's Jesus. It goes on, verse 49, the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sin? They didn't buy into this whole Jesus thing. This Jesus that they were sitting around was not what they expected from God. Jesus did not play by the Pharisees' rules. And in their mind, they had no need for Jesus. They had no need. I don't need, nor do I want forgiveness from Him. Verse 50, and Jesus said to the woman... Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We often kind of just run by that. But let's pause. He told her to go in peace. Jesus, in this moment, removes the shame. From the willing, and he calls them his children and reminds them that they are his masterpiece. What kind of person that we see in ourselves keeps us there, keeps us tied there chained there what kind of people we who think we have sinned little what kind of people we see around us keeps them chained there keeps them right where they are they could not see this woman the way jesus saw this woman So do you know what they did, the Pharisees at this table? They actually did the work of the evil one for the evil one. They wanted to keep that woman enslaved to sin. To keep her in her place because she was a sinner. And that's all they saw. And they wanted her to be enslaved by that title. Enslaved by that sin. You know what Jesus did? Jesus was offering her the good news to offset the bad news. He was offering her the good news. And that's where we must start. If you are a follower of Jesus, that's where we have to start. If we want to be like Jesus, we have to start where he started. Jesus did not start with her mud. He did not start with her sin. He started with the hope of the good news. Jesus did not look at her and start with the Ten Commandments and all the commandments that she had broken and ruined, right? He didn't start there. He started with new life, the good news. A relationship to Jesus himself, which is the solution to sin and mud in her life and in our lives. Now this is where it gets real for us. I mean, this is where you will either get traction and you're going to move forward with Jesus on this, or this is where your tires are just going to start slipping and spinning. Your foot's going to be trying to push down the pedal spiritually. You're going to be trying to go forward with Jesus, but if you don't get this, your tires will simply spin in the mud for the rest of your life. The engine's going to be working hard, but you're not going to be going anywhere. You're going to be hearing a lot of stuff happening with the motor, but you are not going to move anywhere spiritually. This is where you get traction and your tires stop spinning. This is where you distance yourselves from the Pharisees. Here's my question. Can you offer a loving restorative relationship to very muddy people. Because that's what it takes to be like Jesus and less like the Pharisees. Here's another way of asking the same thing. Do you bring good news to people? Or do you instead bring the gospel of mud management to people, which says this, until you see all of your mud and how horrible it is, you won't see your need for God. Now listen, Jesus did not ignore her sin. He did not ignore her sin, but he put in the very beginning the spotlight on on grace so that they could see the masterpiece of his creation and then they could see, then they could see the mud that needed removing. We don't know what happened to the Pharisee Simon. We don't know. We don't know if Simon decided to become more like Jesus and less like the Pharisee that he was. We're not told the answer to that. It's possible. It's possible that his encounter with Jesus, it's possible that it left him more like Jesus, but we don't know how he responded. But that's not our question for today. How he responded. Our question is, how will you respond? What would happen If you went to work tomorrow treating people the way Jesus treated them, replacing shock in what they've done or what they are doing and replacing shock with instead mercy. And in order for you to do that, Jesus might have to remove some Pharisee rough edges from around your life. This week, here's what we're asking you to do. Answer this question. In your life, in your family, in your neighborhood, in this town that you live in or the town you live in, who who shocks you? Who shocks you by the way they live and what they say and what they do? Who shocks you? And will you make a list, a private list, just for you and God. Will you make a list and pray for that person or those people by name this week? And in doing so, will you say, Jesus, I'm your huckleberry. Jesus, I'm for you. Whatever side you're on, Jesus, that's the side I'm on. And will you begin talking To the people from your list from last week? The people you prayed for last week, will you begin talking to them? Will you begin to engage them in a kind, a loving, a grace filled, mercy filled conversation? Will you just simply let that person on your list from last week know something like this? Hey listen, I know this might sound weird and then take a step back. (laughs) But if you ever need me to pray for you about something, we don't have to do it here. I can just take it home and pray for it at home. But if you ever need me to pray for you, about something going on in your life, I, listen. I just want you to know, I'm here for you. You don't even have to tell me the details. I, I just let me know. I, I will pray for you. Listen, I pray for myself all the time because I need it. But if there's everything, anything you ever need, I'll I'll pray for you. You know what? Beyond that, even if there if there's ever any encouragement that you need, if you'll let me know somehow. I'll do my best to encourage you. Now if you ever tell somebody that then something needs to have been happening in your life so that you can encourage them. Because I, I'm I don't want you to encourage them with a Facebook or Instagram or Pinterest little cute saying in a little box, a little cute picture or phrase or a phrase attached to a picture, and that's not the encouragement I want you to give them. If you're going to encourage them, you yourself need to have been in God's Word that week, not so you can gain knowledge, but so that you can gain His perspective on your life. And I guarantee you, as you gain perspective on your life, oh, those people who think they have sinned little, God will let you know otherwise. And as you gain perspective on your life, guess what? You have, in your possession, you have gained perspective on the lives around you. And it is from that very scripture that encouraged you that you will be able to use to encourage them. Now some of you are going to be tempted to say, oh yeah, I better get in the Word then. I'll encourage them later. I need to get in the Word now. Well, I'm just going to tell you, you need to do both now at the same time. Don't wait. Will you this week go to that person or those people and just say privately, hey listen, if you ever need prayer, I just want you to know I pray for myself all the time. I need it. But I would be so willing to pray for anything you need. You don't even have to tell me the details. Just if you, there's something, I'm just, I just want you to know I'm here for you. And beyond that, if you ever need encouragement, I will encourage you. And make sure go home today, start today, and get in the Word, and you will begin to have what you need to encourage the people around you. Have Scripture that has been encouraging you ready to encourage them. You need God's Word. You need it for yourself. And that it is from that that you have your encouragement ammunition to share with the hurting people around you. And you know what? If you say that to them, in essence, you are saying this to that person. I'm your huckleberry. I'm here for you. Prayer. Encouragement. Encouragement. I'm here for you. Do you know what? As the band is making their way up, Jesus describes you like this. He describes you. He says, You are the salt of the earth. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it loses its flavor? And then he says, Can you make it salty again? No, you can't make salt salty again. It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot. It is worthless. Now, there's a few things about salt that are pretty important to our history. The first thing is, if you take a mouthful of salt, it's going to make you thirsty. And if Jesus is saying you're the salt of the earth, he's saying that there is something that should be happening about your life that makes the people around you not filled with shame, but makes them thirsty for Jesus. Salt also preserves. That's how you know, they didn't have refrigeration. That's how they preserved protein. They used salt to preserve protein. And if you are salt, that means being in the hands of God, a tool, a salty tool in the hands of God used to preserve their lives. With Jesus, God can use you. And salt also seasons. It makes food better. And if you place your life in the hands of God as a tool, God will use your life to make the lives around you better. Just Like Jesus did himself. But. If we become more like the Pharisees. Instead. Then we lose our purpose. So I want you to think about this list. That you're going to make. Imagine what your heart will feel like. If, that, if one of those people off of that list begins sitting beside you every week, week after week. Imagine what your heart will feel like as Jesus begins changing their lives, their marriages, their families. And get this. God has chosen you to be a part Because you know how God is at work inside changing you. And it could all happen because you were not afraid to pray for them. To talk to them and with them. And to encourage them and love them. It can happen. They can be sitting beside you. Their lives, marriages, families changing. Let's pray. God, a person who has been forgiven much, you say loves much. But a person who thinks that they have only been forgiven a little, they only love you a little. And they only love very little the people around them. God, may we realize the overwhelming amount of forgiveness that you have lavished upon our very own lives. And may we lovingly take people by the hand and walk them toward a relationship with you. God, don't let us think that we have it all together. Don't let us slowly become more like the Pharisees and less like you, Jesus. Because what good is a life that loses its saltiness? Rather, as we choose to follow you closely, Jesus, keep us salty. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.